0: In Houston, I'm John Herter. It's Tuesday, the 20th day in April. Great as always to have you along, everybody. In a nutshell, From the Experts is a compressed virtual networking accelerator, helping people across industries connect very quickly in a brief, moderated, interactive show format. It's like a TED Talk with interactive discussion. So what's in it for you? Our promise, if all goes well, your curiosity sparked, new ideas come to light, and you may have helped yourself and someone else solve a problem, make that connection, reach the opportunity faster. Networking has never been more important to your business. Folks, help me welcome guest experts, Catherine Nabukalu and Dr. Reto Geri, global charcoal energy experts. Well, Catherine's interested in supply chains, how products are valued and how they're moving from point to point. She's a bright and rising star, a green biz, 30 under 30. Her day job, project manager with DC Sustainable Energy Unit, helping DC businesses and residents use less energy and save money. Sounds pretty good, huh? Professor Reto grew up in the Swiss Alps where he learned to treasure mother nature in a pristine setting. He's had a passion to apply fundamental science to the study of nature and build environment in an effort to conserve our planet for future generations. Folks, be sure to take time, connect, and get to know these guys. They're excellent. So Catherine, set the scene for us. Would right. you please?
1: Right, so uh, right, we're gonna talk about charcoal, as uh, Joan mentioned. We're going to talk about how how it's produced, where it is in the world, and the future. Uh, starting today, of course, how it's been in the past twenty five years, and how it's going to uh, impact the energy system in in future and our public health. So this part is talking about this. This part is generally uh, about charcoal and coal. Usually, there's a lot of confusion between what charcoal is and what coal is, mostly because um, they look very similar, and the words also almost make them seem like they're the same thing. So here's the first poll. Uh, John is going to send out a first poll just to see if our, audi- our audience can uh, find distinguish the two um, the two energy uh, energy alternatives.
0: Okay, keep going, folks. Move those fingers. Right. All right, let's see here. This is what we got.
1: Right. So, oh, that's amazing. So I see uh hundred percent of the people say uh, charcoal is not the same thing as coal. And that is correct. But the thing is, you know, there's some confusion about where it comes from and what it's used to make it. So as you can see the two different things here, we see charcoal as the, uh, on, the, uh, on one side as the, as the lightweight material. And you see coal is more dense. So let's move into how charcoal is produced. Um, you'll see that uh, most of charcoal starts with cutting trees. It's very rudimentary process, very manual, and then those trees are set together in a uh, in a batch, and most of it is covered. and then it, And then they're covered with soil, and the the producer sets the mound alight. Most of this happens in Africa. This production is common in sub-Saharan Africa. So. Next, they do that in Brazil in some, in some, some, in some cases. They put, they put those logs in a mound in Brazil where they're, um, they, set the, they they set that alight in a stationary kiln, which is made of clay. And it's a very lightweight material. So it's, it invites overloading on trucks because it's packed in, in very long sacks and very very lightweight uh, materials. So when that gets into the marketplace, you find that charcoal is very similar to other commodities um, on the market. So it's very different, even though it's an energy source, it's trading very differently than electricity. And the purpose of this charcoal is mostly home use. People use it for leisure. In, if you look at Europe and most parts of North America, it's used for leisure. It's used for um, home cooking in most of Sub-Saharan Africa as a necessity. So uh, let's move on to the next slide, Rito. We'll talk about other uses of charcoal in most of the world. uh, It's getting used for industrial purposes. As you look at um, the price of coal is increasing in terms of uh, the price of carbon is increasing. And at the moment, coal is used in the industrial process of steelmaking so there is growing interest in using, in using charcoal to replace coal in some of the uh, industrial process and if uh, we've got the responses John let's talk about um, between personal use and commercial uses I want us to talk about the quantities of, coal, of charcoal on the market
2: All right so thank you Catherine you see in the poll uh, we were asking you how many bags of charcoal are produced right. and the majority of you said 600 million bags in fact it's six billion all right wow. so that's an astounding number six right. billion year. bags of 20 pound charcoal that's really an amazing number and so we want to talk a little bit about the production the annual average production. And one of the things to remember is that the majority of this charcoal is produced in Africa. As You see over here, about 25% on average is coming from Africa. Global production today is about 54 million tons and that's where we get the, seven, the, the six billion tons of charcoal bags. Now, Africa as being the main producer, what is interesting that the top producer in terms of a country is actually not in Africa, it's in Brazil. And what is also interesting about Brazil, it is not one of the top exporters. And what you see here in the top 10, there are mostly countries that have tropical forests where this is sourced, but not all of them. If you think, for example, of Egypt, that's a semi-arid country. There are other important producers, such as Somalia, for example, or Ethiopia. They don't have the vast forest resources to use. Nevertheless, they are major producers. Now, um, some of these countries also export a lot of their production. For example, Indonesia is being the largest producer uh, exported globally. Yes. Now, typically charcoal is viewed as the energy of the poor. Well, the data shows actually something completely different. Most of the charcoal is actually going to rich countries which have a well-developed energy system and also are energy secure countries. So the question, of course, is why is that? So the charcoal is produced in relatively undeveloped countries. The majority of that is exported to very rich countries. And that's a dichotomy that we will have to address in in the future. So we want to talk about the future of charcoal from that perspective. There are two points that we want to bring into this discussion. First of all, the sustainability aspect. And instead of using wood from freshly felled trees that we should start thinking more of using other materials, uh, secondary raw materials, for example, waste streams, agricultural waste is one example. And the second point that is rarely discussed is that charcoal combustion and production actually is associated with severe health impacts. And this is not addressed. And we have to address that because especially charcoal is used in such large amounts in less developed countries, such as India or Sub-Saharan Africa. So we want to spend the last moments of of our discussion here to talk about innovations that are necessary to make um, charcoal more sustainable, and then also the sourcing of the materials, the raw materials. So let's get this discussion going. And what I would like to ask the audience now is, what can you do? What can we do to make this material more sustainable? Because we have to do something, right? We cannot leave it as such. We cannot produce such enormous quantities without addressing fundamental issues such as sustainability. What can you do as a consumer? What should we do? And if you have a company that works in this um, space, what can you do in terms of innovation?
1: Right. And uh, to add to Reto's point, uh, it's not just about Uh, the resources and where the charcoal is coming from. So it's not only the West side. So charcoal quality is so important. And as we mentioned earlier, it's produced in very rudimentary settings. It's produced outside and there's no control of quality. And as you saw in the last slide, uh, the gentleman bans biomass and there's so much uh, smoke coming into his face. And that is a lot of uh, pollution and also bad for his health as he breathes in the particulate matter so um what can we do to create to control the quality of charcoal so that it's uh it's healthier for people that use it
0: anybody on the floor some examples one of the questions that we
2: also have for you is uh, why should should we not develop a, a kind of a label for sustainably sor- sourced charcoal like we have labels for organic materials or for palm oil? You know, in many countries, um, palm oil is not welcome anymore because of the huge damage it does to tropical forests. And some countries refuse to import palm oil that is not sustainably sourced. So could we make a label for that as well? Uh, I've got a, a quick question, um, comment. Um <coughs> I mean, admittedly, a lot of my um, interest in charcoal use has come from a weekend barbecue world, but uh, I have seen a small company here that is producing charcoal out of the, um, I guess it's uh, coconut husks that have been discarded from other
0: industries. Um, I'm not sure if it makes a difference on the polluting end, but at least it seems more environmental in that it's coming from discarded husks that would otherwise be thrown away.
2: Yes, thank you for mentioning that, Brian. This is a very important point. And that's uh, what I meant with agricultural waste. There are so many waste products that are not used at all or poorly used, and this would be one way of using it. There are other ways, for example, you can burn it and use the ash for cement production or things like that. So we have to become creative with these waste materials. And I'm glad that you saw this company.
1: Right. Um, And to add to that, Reto, I think I would like to add that the current trend of the charcoal supply chain is very informal and there is no standardization. As, to reg- as you know, regarding how it's trading around the world. Most of the times it's trading as a wood product in some countries and in, in others, it's just trading as charcoal, wood charcoal or charcoal from nutshells. So the current statistics that you saw are wood charcoal. So this is mostly the one that's caused for, you know produced from cutting trees, but in other countries it's trading as a wood product. It's not even recognized for energy security. It doesn't count basically. So how can we formalize this supply chain to make sure that it's counting as an energy resource and it's st- uh, the statistics can show that and reflect that, especially in the, in the industrialized countries so that we can improve its supply chain all the way to the manufacturer.
0: Right, so I, I get it that it uh, sounds like there are two ways. One, the label is a way that we can all understand where the charcoal is coming from and sort of demand from our people a little more transparency. But um, uh, then one of our uh, uh, folks, Lawrence, he was asking, what is the usage breakdown between personal and commercial, right? Right. Do we, is it even clear enough? Can you tell that guys on on what that is? That's a question for you experts. Do you know that that how much is commercial versus how much is uh, industrial in terms of the total production?
1: so the most because i mentioned the charcoal supply chain is mostly informal these numbers that we even showed were actually estimates because there's no real you know measurement along the supply chain when you saw the gentleman cutting tree cutting the tree in the beginning he's not measuring the waste inputs the production and the kiln those things don't get measured at least not measured on a scale so by the time they get to the market on the track as you saw they're just really selling as commodities but that's that's mostly in the developing countries or um, industrialized countries so one of
0: the questions uh, in terms of supply chain paul torson's right. like well what kind of ships are the charcoal shipped on how big are they uh, must be extremely light cargo versus you know other things of course he's in the shipping business he wants to know
1: all right. Oh, right i'm very ex- uh, excited about supply chain so i think i'll take the answer to answer that So it's not, if you look at some pictures from Somalia, these are ships that are going, you know, between Somalia and the Middle East, obviously they're trading between uh, these, the Middle Eastern countries. They're shipped in actually rudimentary boats and not very big cargo ships as you you saw, especially that's for the international trade that is long distance. They're shipped just like any other commodity and labeled as wood products uh, at the customs level. But we looked at the trade on Lake Victoria in Uganda, and it's just like any other commodity, just basic bots, because they're very lightweight and they can take a lot of cargo at a time.
0: And what about, um, uh, we have some further input here. What about forestation? What's the impact on that? Uh, Are the areas being reforested, repurposed? Uh, I know you guys know quite a bit about what's happening there.
1: Right, Reto?
2: Yeah, maybe Uh, that depends on the countries and the laws that exist and the policies. Um, In some countries that actually export um, charcoal, um, it is illegal to actually produce charcoal. So there's a very interesting market there that in, in in some countries, it's certain districts where it's illegal to produce charcoal, but it's still legally traded in markets. So it's hard to track that. But definitely some of the countries have reforestation products, but others, for example, Somalia is a big disaster because that's a semi-arid nation and it's one of the main exporters. And so that's basically it's exported because they need the money from the export. And there's no reforestation there, as far as we know.
1: Reforestation is going to be more possible in the future if we have controlled groups of people that are producing it and they can measure the inputs. But um, we haven't seen that... um, on reforestation directly focused on withdrawals from charcoal production. We haven't seen that happening in sub-Saharan Africa, at least because most of the land use there is private and people do whatever they want on their private land. As regards to Brazil, a lot of the production is illegal and it's just more cutting than planting.
0: Again, lack of transparency, difficult to make policy uh, stick, but that doesn't mean that you don't stop and find better ways. Uh, but also as a consumer, right, to drive it from the other direction. So, uh, Peter Hill asks, hey, what's the overall percentage of global energy of charcoal, right, if you line that up with other sources of energy? Or is that difficult to determine because of the informal nature of charcoal?
2: It's actually not tracked. We don't know. And it's hard because... Even where you have electricity available, such as, for example, in Kampala, um, electricity is widely available, but people prefer the use of charcoal, and that's not tracked. So it doesn't count in the overall energy mix. And that's why also we don't know much about the um, proportion of the global effect of using charcoal. From the industry also, it's quite substantial, what is used in charcoal. For some industries, for example, in in Brazil, but also there are other, like in Europe, I think uh, charcoal is quite important in industrial settings.
1: Right. And even that uh, industrialized countries are not tracking their charcoal use because um, it's mostly overshadowed by other sources of energy, because most industrialized countries are using electricity to, they are talking, when they say energy, they're talking about electricity most of the time, but charcoal is a source of energy that is not acknowledged uh, in most of the energy mix.
3: You
0: know, Tuyeni is coming back and he's saying he's concerned about the emphasis on the formality and control over the trade uh, because control tends to marginalize the poor and take away a key livelihood for millions. And I know that's a balance. What's what y'all's take on that?
1: Right. Um, so. I- it's actually amazing because I did this field work in, in Uganda, in Kampala. We spoke to a lot of charcoal producers there and the control here is not to withdraw the producers from the trend. It's about really making it formal and acknowledging the socioeconomic benefits of charcoal so that more people can not only acknowledge that charcoal is a source of energy, but also strategize for the future. Um, In terms of how it's used in the market and how it's contributing, because if you look at countries like Tanzania, if you look at Nigeria, this energy is not even acknowledged and the strategy now is to ban it completely, but not knowing its advantages socioeconomically is causing policies to sideline the poor more than what acknowledging it would do.
0: Um, Sustainability, let's talk a little bit about the tech of it here. We we were talking about other ways to get there, biomass. Uh, Mary says many countries in sub-Saharan Africa are developing strategies for sustainable production of biomass, Uh, processing, efficient use. Uh, And then Kenya's got a strategy for that. Um, We also know that uh, we have uh, Gilliam that's here with the firm that actually is making uh, using a different type of technology for a briquette as well. Um, uh, w- maybe we could have uh, somebody talk about technologies that they're using. Gilliam, do you want to speak up for just a minute about um, uh, your tech and, and why that's making a difference?
3: Yes, I would like to start by apologize for my accent because I, I am French and... As you know, uh, French people don't speak very well uh, English. They prefer speak to love. Um, <laughs> you have a question. What can you do to improve the sustainability of charcoal? Um, for me, to improve the sustainability development of charcoal, it's necessary to review the charcoal value chain from the beginning to the end to start by sustainable reforestation, to use wood waste like wood, bamboo or other things, um, and to have a production with um, a carbon net negative technology has we, we have. Uh, and after to the end, uh, Catherine spoke about uh, track traceability uh, to certify, the origin of charcoal. I think it's also uh, very important. I saw an example in uh, Ivory Coast. Um, there is an NGO uh, company who try to uh, make um, a new computer, a new program for the traceability. And um, you have also another uh, topics with stoves um, to preserve um, wood to preserve um, charcoal, also. What's the um,
0: what's the essence of your technology solution? What are you doing that's different?
3: Uh, it's not um, paralysis. It's carbonization, direct carbonization. It's a a, a system who was uh, improved in Argentina and in Chile also, and um, we we consume 30% uh, less of wood than pyrolysis, for example. And um, we made um, eight uh, cubic meters by uh, kins by day with um, very uh, high quality charcoal. The quality of charcoal uh, is um, the fixed carbon uh, when you have a, a fixed carbon with around 80%, it's a good charcoal. If you have a bad uh, fixed carbon, you, have, you can have problems with uh, colorectal cancer. This is very dangerous thing. And after with 90%, it's for industry. For example, in Brazil.
0: Gidham, uh, can I ask you a favor? Can you drop the link to your technology into the chat so people can look at that and you can, we can follow up on that a little later. I'd like to uh, just take a minute to move from that question and the essence of time and um, going to the FTE expert ask and give. So Reto and Catherine, you know, what is your ask of the audience? Today?
2: So, maybe I can take that. So, my primary concern is the sustainability of charcoal, how we can improve that. And, I, in my opinion, it's very important we use um, waste materials instead of freshly felled trees, or else have reforestation as a, as a program. That's one of my main concerns. And the second one is health effects. And there, I think we need innovation on the consumer end. Obviously, for the producers, it's, a, it's an issue. Um, when you do these, this rudimentary technique, like um, Catherine has discussed in Uganda, that affects the producers. There's a, a few people right. per kiln. But uh, on the consumer side, it affects millions of people. And especially if this charcoal is used in poorly ventilated rooms or verandas, it affects whoever is cooking. And okay. in many parts of the world, it is still the women cooking, typically with some babies around or children around. So it affects disproportionately the health of women. And so um, I hope we can come up with a, a simple, cheap stove that can help in um, reducing the emissions from charcoal, that the people who use it are not exposed so
0: much. Right. So if anybody knows anything around that kind of technology, if your ask is, uh, who do we know? That is engaged. Well, we have give him here. Does anybody else write? You're asking for new tech that will help solve that problem, or something like that. I think that's. I think that's uh, what you're asking. So yes. then, what about the give? What are you guys willing to uh, give to the audience today?
2: Do you want me to take that, Catherine?
1: Right, um, so most importantly, we want to give the insight that uh, charcoal is still here, uh, regardless of the bans that are happening in Sub-Saharan Africa. It's important for us to understand that the, the demand is there and demand is what is driving production. So it's important to look at charcoal as an energy source that is here to stay and not beyond energy, is also going to be more important for uh, steel production. So banning it is not working. Uh, and it's, it hasn't worked because of demand. So it would be important to either create a technology uh, that's going to increase electricity consumption to the point that is cheaper than charcoal, but I haven't seen that happening in any African country. But um, right. And the second thing would be increasing for industrialized countries to acknowledge their um, charcoal con- consumption because that would help us um, have more transparency and add it to the energy security. Um,
0: Got it. So I, I, you know, being the business guy, I'd summarize it saying you guys are the experts. Anybody who wants to know more and get involved, call you. And uh, the other thing that you just said that I heard Catherine was get involved in a simple way uh, by um, requiring as a consumer to uh, some sort of a label. Like where does my charcoal come from? You know, know your charcoal and ask your suppliers to uh, tell you where it came from. And that's how, just like on uh, the organic labels over time, this process, we started understanding what was going on. So y'all contact uh, Catherine and Reto. That was their, their give, is uh, they're that resource. So glad to tell you today's show is brought to you by our underwriters, Porter Hedges, attorneys at law, the informed choice for complicated litigation in the energy business. Interpoint, protecting what you care about most, people, profits, brand, and the environment. Unique ventures, the energy hybrid technology accelerator with a unique approach to venture capital. An Alliance Benefit Group, building retirement plans for your business that work. So let's keep going. I think this is flowing great. Uh, we've got more questions. I guess the second question on the list uh, and one we all want to know is why should you, your business and society even care? Right? That's a good question. Anybody want to contribute to that?
2: Perhaps I can just say one thing. With many products, we really don't know where they come from. That's just one example. But one example that affects, you know, a a huge number of people producing charcoal. Um, And so we are consuming it in some of the richer countries without knowing anything or without even asking about it or being aware of it. And I think that's something we have to change. We need to know how it's produced. And, you know, it it supports many people in this supply chain. And we should know who these people are and how um, we can help them.
1: Right. And actually, if you look at uh, Sub Saharan Africa as well, when charcoal gets to the final market, people don't really know who produced it. So they don't, the producer does not exchange information with the consumer, and the consumers don't exchange with the pro- producer. So there's not really any information between the two on, hey, this is what I use to make it be safe as you use it. But also, they, there's no space to pay for sustainability. So that would be a really interesting investment to see.
0: Mm. That's cool. We've got we've got uh, some interesting conversation going on here uh, between technologists and uh, commercial folks. Looks like Hillington, ZIWA actually makes, uh, produces some kind of a stove unit. Gilham, you probably know uh, of uh, ZIWA. If not, good. Glad you could. And then uh, is asking, what's the efficiency of uh, the kiln, right? Um, and then we have a question also about, well, what about, you know, thinking about uh, in the production countries, will microgrid solar display some of the need for local consumption of charcoal? We talked about, you know, bringing grid power, but what about something different? Um, he goes on to say, without a cost for the emissions, solar will be expensive unless subsidized. Maybe a tax on charcoal emission in Europe or other countries. Could uh, help to support, you know, clean up the uh, in the origin countries. So I don't know what you guys have to say about that, Catherine Oretto.
1: Or right. I'm actually glad that question was brought up uh, because the the common mindset is that if we have more electricity, somehow chocolate consumption will go away. But it hasn't happened for Europe. Um, it hasn't happened for North America. They're still demanding charcoal. Well. It's, it's overshadowed, but it doesn't mean it's less or it's not there. So electricity is not providing a direct substitute for what would be a utility for charcoal. A lot of people are still using it because it is uh, because they just like the taste of food when it's made with charcoal. Like the barbecues, people are not turning to electricity. So um, So our conclusion is that electricity and gas are not directly substituting for what customers want from charcoal.
0: That's cool. So, so Sylvia, thanks for posting about the the charcoal project and she's inviting people entrepreneurs. So, and also venture capitalists, right? So we have those folks in the the network here with us today. Uh, If you're interested in knowing more about it, get on that, whether it's from the tech uh, entrepreneur or venture capital, uh, go to the project, talk to Sylvia. I talked to the others on the call. Uh, Paul is asking, is there any data on the decrease in charcoal use versus electricity rates, particularly in Africa? kind of what we talked about, but he's asking about where you get the data, where would you go and find that data?
1: So what we know so far is that, um, so I I look at Kampala as the example, because that's where uh, most of the fieldwork was done. Uh, People have more electricity um, the, at, at least if you compare that to the rest of the country, but even people with electricity access are purchasing charcoal stoves and using it, either because it's more reliable and the electricity is very erratic. So for for just simply the purpose of cooking, people will turn to charcoal. So increasing electricity cannot be, you know, compared with declining charcoal use or any, so it's been hard to find any metrics that will guarantee a switch between the two fuels, especially just, for the, just in the small realm of cooking. But most people will use the electricity if they have it, of course, for, to make uh, some parts of life easier for entertainment and for any other thing. But just in the area of cooking, people with electricity, and it doesn't matter what socioeconomic uh, status they are in, they will just use that for cooking.
0: So now he comes back. And she says, all of Europe's charcoal annual consumption is uh, equal to about a year's worth of Mexico's consumption. Is global trade really a big issue here?
1: Absolutely, global trade is an issue <laughs> because um, because the supply chain is not known. What we know, even what the United Nations knows is simply an estimate for sure. And it cannot be an underestimation. Um, a, because the countries that are so, where we're getting this charcoal from are not having a compensation for trees in terms of that environment. So they're producing rudimentary, they're shipping to countries that already have their forests protected, and then they are not paying for sustainability of the fuel. So if you think about it, the exchange is uh, only going between, the best exchange is between the, the trader and the consumer. So producers are not in, innovating to, to improve their supply chain but also there's a huge environmental cost for places like Somalia, Egypt, uh, Ethiopia, which already don't have forests, but then they keep shipping basically their trees to other industrialized countries to use uh, for leisure. It's, 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 global trade is worth looking into.
0: Interesting. Another, so so please,
2: Roger, go ahead. The, the other issue I just wanted to bring up, um, we have we don't have really great data. There is a lot of data out there, but it's not great. And one of the reasons is, in many countries where it's produced, it's actually sold by volume, by bags or you know volume. And in the, the international documents, it's typically listed as weight because in, in the rich countries, you know, like in Europe or, or, or the US, you buy it by the bag, but you, you buy it actually as a weight. It's traded as a weight. So this conversion doesn't work very, very well. And that's one of the reasons we don't have good data either. And the second point I wanted to make is that many African countries have um, big plans to expand electricity and connections to the grid uh, in an effort to suppress biomass consumption. And that's in a way, it's the opposite of, for example, Europe. They wanna increase biomass as an energy source, often forgetting the health impacts that are resulting from that or reacting instead of planning this. Now, Germany is a great example. He was promoted um, to use biomass on a personal level until the emissions from biomass combustion were bigger or larger than those from cars. So this is something that's very often forgotten.
0: So, uh, you know, like in most everything, if you want to succeed, uh, find somebody else who's already doing it well. So find a model, right, that works. And I see that Beatrice has shared one of the models they're using in Kenya, which is this 2020 sustainable standards for charcoal and carbonized briquettes. So feel free to reach out to Beatrice uh, because I think that's the challenge. One, we don't have a global standard. We don't even have necessarily regional or local standards. Uh, So find one that works and try try to leverage that and and, uh, link up with those people. So we've got a question from David. Uh, he says, what does Germany use the charcoal for? And then of course, Gilliam says, barbecue, of course. The Germans love their barbecue, just like Americans and a lot of people everywhere in the world. So uh, with the uh, thinking about time, we've got you know three, four or five minutes maybe. Let's shift to that last question, shall we? It says, what can you do as a consumer or a company leader to require more sustainably sourced charcoal from your store or supplier? Any ideas? I mean, how do you practically do that?
1: Right. Um, I think for Sub-Saharan Africa, what we know so far, because most people are using charcoal as, um, as on a daily basis for cooking. The first thing to do for, in terms of your own health is to cook outside. It's more mm-hmm. aerated, there's better ventilation, but obviously you know that means that there's charcoal demand, therefore the policy uh, makers should be listening to that reality. Charcoal demand is still going to be here. So cook outside, it's more aerated because indoor pollution is very bad for your health. And the second thing is um, you know, really be curious about where this charcoal comes from. Know that even when you buy charcoal, you're not, you're not necessarily paying the producer even though a lot of people say charcoal is produced by poor people, so, you know, I might be paying the producer for some reason if I purchase it. There's no uh, direct, if you look at most of the producers, they're not even getting paid for to produce this charcoal, at least not directly, or it's not worth how much they're producing for. So I'll have her to add some, add something to that.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, I agree with you, Catherine. And on also, you know, if you have a chance to buy briquettes, that uh perhaps it even says it's from recycled material that would really help and boycott the other ones and exactly. we have some people on this call ziva for example you know he has a company that produces briquettes from waste and this is the kind of innovation we need to support right. and, and it in germany it doesn't say where the charcoal is coming from and we know some of it from comes from nigeria where it shouldn't be produced because it's illegal and so um, and Germany usually has these strict standards, but here nobody cares. So we as consumers can help by just buying the only products that tell you how it is made and where it's coming from. So we know where it's coming from and how helping local happen? companies.
0: I guess that happens by people asking their store manager and starting that process. I mean, it sounds pretty grassroots and basic, but I think that's uh, that's what a lot of us can do ourselves. huh?
2: Mm. And Paul has a, a good comment there about coffee. Same thing, right. you know. Right. And, and Paul, oil we mentioned before, for many products, you want to know where they are coming from. And this it mass production. Um, think of the, the eggs you buy. Do you want it from a factory or do you want it organically sourced, you know, with free range chicken? I mean, <laughs>
1: right.
2: I mean many times you don't ask. And charcoal is one commodity that we don't ask. Where is it coming from?
0: Nobody seems to care. So last comment, uh, Catherine Reto, before we close this thing off. All right,
1: I'll let Rito go first. Rito, do you want to go first?
0: All right, so
2: we would love to be in touch with you if you have ideas how we can make this more sustainable. And uh, then what I would also like to see is like innovation. If you're... um, technology company how you can help in making this more sustainable but also healthier for the millions and millions of people who cook their
0: daily meals with charcoal that would be great thank you guys that's the last word so question for you the group here how was the networking in the discussion today for you the fte post show notes will hit your email a little bit later today so please take 30 seconds for the survey in order to get your copy of today's attendee contact list. You'll also find there the links to FTE videos and podcasts from previous shows. This one will show up uh, later this week. FTE, we belong to you. It's your community and networking platform. Don't forget, follow up and connect the dots with each of the people here after the meeting. Oh, and by the way, if you know someone or you, or you know someone and you're working on innovative next generation ideas, technologies, or business models and wanna share your challenge with the network, be sure and let us know on the survey. We'd love to connect and, and learn more. If you had a good experience with us today, share it. Build this community with others that you want to network with. Forward a newsletter, invite your connection to our events. Folks, we're out of time. Be sure and join us for our next events, May 4th how to speed up closing the sale in the wake of the global pandemic. Edar Voldness, CEO of Interpoint shares his dilemma through a current business case, sharing lessons learned, practical case study uh, and input from the group. May 18th, bringing employees back to the workplace as COVID-19 restrictions are lifting. Challenging, right? Attorney Laura Alani's partner at Porter Hedges shares the latest trends on this evolving back-to-office topic. Sign up right now, fte.network, invite your friends. Thanks once again to our experts, Catherine and Professor Reto, and all of you for making this the smartest 45 minutes of your day. Take care, everybody. See you next time.